This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guest this week is Brenda Davies. Brenda is a YouTuber and podcaster who has a YouTube channel called God is Gray, where she tackles lots of questions related to Christianity and sexuality, as well as a whole host of other issues. Her story is fascinating in the way in which she began to develop this and her life leading up to it and and all of the experiences that that led her to doing this particular project and the particular medium that she has chosen which is primarily youtube uh youtube is very different than podcasting um and of course it is just one of the most popular destinations on the internet it's the number two search engine behind google itself and the number one destination for video content on the web um at least within the western world and we have a great discussion about her journey as well as what it's like to operate in this sort of space and in many ways respond to a lot of the evangelical content that is present on YouTube. Um, I do sound very old <laughs> in this uh, conversation, especially when we go uh, into what it's like to make content for YouTube. And so, yeah, you'll hear some dated or wrong terminology from me. And you know what? I'm just going to embrace it because I'm getting older um, and I don't know the lingo <laughs> that the youths are using. So, yeah. Um, anyways, of course, you can always support the show by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also let your friends and family know about it. Um, and please, if you can, uh, donate to the Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. I'll have links in the show notes for all of uh, Brenda's locations online, all the places you can follow her and her work. And a very big thank you to Jake Lewis for producing this episode of Exvangelical. Thank you very much, Jake. I do want to give everyone a, a notice, a, a sort of content warning and a, a trigger warning. Around 30 minutes into the conversation, she does discuss an assault. Uh, so please be aware of that. And otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brenda Davies from God is Gray. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical. My guest this week is the YouTuber and podcaster Brenda Davies, who podcasts and has a YouTube channel by the name God is Gray. Welcome to the show, Brenda. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, our mutual friend, Jamie Lee Finch, uh, introduced us, and I'm really excited to learn a bit more about you and your work. So let's start where we usually do in these conversations and just learn a little bit about your first introduction to religion and, and what your sort of uh, initial religious environment was like. Sure. Um, I'll try to give you the most abridged version, but basically... <laughs> you, can also do long, you can also do long versions. That's why we're here. <laughs> do you have 20 hours? Yeah. <laughs> 
I always tell people that I felt very innately like in tune with the divine, the Holy Spirit, God, Mm -hmm. um, since I was very young. And at that time I would call my family casual Catholics, which is like we went to church. I mean, Sundays were rare. It was just like holidays. And then every once in a while, if someone was feeling guilty, maybe we'd show up at church (laughs) and, um, (laughs) yeah, very casual Catholics. And, When I was 12 years old, I was a huge nerd in high school, and I don't use that word in a derogatory way. I love a nerd. I was (laughs) truly one. And um, but none of the boys were interested in me. I was like having crushes, no success. So my friend was like, "Oh, I go to this youth group, and there's so many cute boys there, and everyone's super nice." And I was like, "That sounds great." And Side note, I totally love God too. And I'm really intrigued, you know, by this whole concept of a youth group because I wasn't very engaged. I was just by my bedside, by myself, praying at night. And my leader, my mentor in the spiritual world was my father and what he'd he'd learned from his um, Catholic upbringing. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I show up at this evangelical church and a lot of the boys were cute as promised. Thank goodness. And they had to be nice to you because of the basis of like being at church. They're all like coming up and saying hello. And so I was really into it immediately. And I loved having a fresh crop of people that I could meet. And the first thing that struck me was that I was encouraged that I had a destiny and not only a destiny, but I was capable of reading the Bible on my own and that the concept of God and all of these like really large ideas could be accessible to me in this space. And we could ask the big questions and everything about that. I still hold dear in my heart is very beautiful. And the things that I see as the very positive outcomes of that experience. Mm -hmm. But paired with that, they do a little bait and switch and be like, Oh, but by the way, God cries when you masturbate. God cries if you have sex before marriage. And I explained to people how I got duped into this so heavily as I was five years old praying at my bedside for wars to end. And I had this, you know, really beautiful connection to the divine all on my own. So when I was 12 years old, very impressionable, and someone just approached me and said, that thing that you've connected with at your bedside since you were a child cries. If you use your sexuality in this way, it broke my heart. It tore me to pieces. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you for telling me. I had no idea Mm. that this was so profoundly important. I will do anything it takes to honor this entity that I love. So I ended up spearheading and being so motivated by this. I... (laughs) Uh, organized the chastity ceremony at my church when I was 15 years old. I got all of my girlfriends and me to go to the Christian bookstore and get our chastity rings. And we did this whole little ceremony. And I really lived like that. And in this realm for, I guess, up until I was about 26, 27 years old. Mm. This sounds somewhat similar to some folks I knew. I, I, I grew up first in, an, in a small town in Indiana and then moved to the Chicago suburbs. And that was when I first sort of knew Catholics. 
just because there weren't that it was a small town and there there was only one small Catholic church and there weren't many Catholic families. Um, but then I got plugged into a similar sort of youth group and there were Catholic kids there, uh, which is such a to me such an interesting like vector for some people who may have just entirely missed evangelicalism entirely, uh, but they get routed Lucky into it. <laughs> <laughs> right. They get routed into it through youth group. And then you have yeah. this extremely, is this within your youth group experience, was this sort of formative thing? Was this even when you were like 12, you were getting these messages uh, about your purity uh, at this, at this local church? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was also, I mean, obviously fascinating as well because you're coming into puberty, just starting to shave your legs, et cetera. And you know, the sex ed is so shining in this country and (laughs) that's a (laughs) sarcastic statement (laughs) that I literally had sex ed at 17 years old with two pregnant girls in my class. So that was also the only space in my life that anyone was talking about sex. Hmm. So there was obviously just the adolescent fascination going on there as well. And it felt very refreshing to feel like things were so open. And looking back, it's so funny because it's so repressive when you actually deconstruct and break it down and figure out the PTSD of what you've been through with purity culture. But in the moment, it feels so freeing because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in a public space. I'm talking to adults openly about masturbation and purity and my worth as a woman. And, you know, it was really exhilarating to have those conversations in a public arena. Mm hmm. Was there any sort of disconnect between you and and your your family in regards to this? I mean, you were you were invited by a friend to go to this evangelical church and then all of a sudden you're there and 3 years later you're leading this purity ceremony. Yeah. I mean, what was what was the reaction like uh within within your family? Cuz it seems like you definitely even from what what you've told me so far, you're very religiously inclined. And that was just part of your nature. So how did they respond to this, this sort of manifestation of that inclination? I mean, honestly, they were thrilled. They were like, okay, great. We don't have to talk to her about sex. She's going to sign this (laughs) contract. Like we don't have to worry about her. She's not drinking. She's not doing drugs. She's not sneaking out of the house at night. Like I was in check under the thumb of what I thought was God, Mm -hmm. um, really in the, you know, manifestation of these youth leaders and these people that were around me. And also, you know, in so many ways, it was bring out the best in me. It was also bring out the worst in me. I was, I was arguing with my biology teacher about evolution. I made a paper mache project at 15 of a girl, nine months pregnant, holding a gun to her belly and called it abortion. So I was definitely, you know, very vocal about what I was learning in that space and, and becoming very legalistic, but I was also really falling in love, you know, with God more than ever and, and feeling like more of a sense of purpose than ever. And I did get to break this down with my mom later because how it all played out is they ended up following me into evangelicalism and we started attending church together. Mm, And mm -hmm. the ironic thing is that's been such a huge journey for me and my dad, for example, because 
he tends to go legalistic and that's because he was raised with a lot of fear is the way I see it. No offense to him whatsoever. His, his mother just really crammed in hellfire and brimstone since he was a young kid. And that's what he imparted to me. So I think his journey in evangelicalism was very much so clinging on to those fear-based ideas, those fundamentalist ideas. Mm -hmm. For my mom, she was really drawn to the spirituality of it, the prophecy, the speaking in tongues, um, sozoing, et cetera. And she was like more mystical with it. So they both found their places in that space. And since then, the three of us have all been on journeys together, both mm -hmm. like being in it and coming out of it. Mm -hmm. And so is this a more charismatic denomination that you were in or like what did, what sort of denomination or was there any at this at this church that you started out at? I mean, isn't it funny how they all call it non-denominational, but it's definitely like this is a denomination. <laughs> it was yeah. non-denominational evangelical Christian church. And, you know, we had a bunch of like white boys with a couple tattoos that had crazy past that they wanted to tell us about. And now they're <laughs> married to their wives having amazing sex. Like right. that whole, <laughs> you know, and like jars yeah. of clay and DC talk and, you know. And that was the other thing coming out of Catholicism. I mean, now I die in a Catholic church. I'm like, shut up with that Christian music. Let me just sit down here and hear some angel voices singing and be in this beautiful space. But at the time, as a teenager, the evangelical church was like, whoa, you guys are listening to like rock music and your yeah. pastors have tattoos. <laughs> and, you know, it was like so fun at the moment. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That, that veneer of fun is, is very enticing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that you were in this sort of space till you were 26. Was, was that in reference to the really legalistic sort of purity culture stuff or was it your entire experience in evangelicalism? Um, explore that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So basically, I never, I would not say I fell into legalism besides maybe the paper mache project that I told you about. <laughs> I think that it was more, I leaned to the mystic, mystic side, like my mom, and I always felt like a lot of feelings about it and a lot of Holy Spirit revelation, prophecy, etc. And I loved that. And I still hold dear to those memories. But what happened is what I call my pendulum swing, which I theorize everybody that goes through the deconstruction phase, this happens to them. I was attempting to save myself from marriage. I made it till 22. And at that point, I was just losing my mind. I was just getting so horny. I could barely see straight. And I started really diving into the verses that I'd been given to promote saving sex for marriage. And I was definitely trying to do a lot of justification, but it really wasn't earnest. I was like, okay, why am I, is this really true? I need to know because my body is like overwhelming me right now. It's all I could think about. So I eventually was really open about it and talked to a lot of Christian friends I talked to a lot of Christian friends who were like, well, I had sex for marriage and I really regretted it. Like it would have been so much better. And I'm like, okay, next. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you're just telling me that you got to have sex. So that's not helping. <laughs> and how do you even know you regret it so much? You already did it. You know, I was just like, cause I have a sassy side. I'm like a Jersey Philly girl. I was just like, no BS. Let's get down to it. Why am I doing this? 
And um, I had one friend that I thought was clinging on to virginity with me. By the way, I don't really embrace or like the word virginity anymore, but for the sake of evangelical conversation, we'll keep it. (laughs) Sure. But she was like the last person I knew clinging to it. And I called her and it was so funny because I heard it in her voice immediately. I was like, how are you doing? She's like, good. And I immediately was like, you lost your virginity. Oh my gosh. And she started laughing and she was like, I know I'm so sorry. I couldn't take it anymore. So I hung up with her and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm the last virgin standing. Like, I don't even know how I can do this. (laughs) So I ended up trying to give away my virginity in a one night stand because I didn't want it to be exaggerated or made to be too special. I didn't want the guy lighting candles or thinking he was important. I just felt like an itch that I needed to scratch. And I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I need to just get rid of this, be on with my life and then figure out where to go from here. And that person that I slept with for the very first time ended up finding out that he was my first sexual experience and really falling in love with me and really pursuing me. So we ended up dating for two years, but the entire time we were sexually active and I was going through a lot of the traumatic symptoms that religious people experience in sexuality, like having slight panic attacks, like getting really scared, feeling like I'm definitely going to health, like compartmentalizing my sexuality and my spirituality because I'm terrified that God hates me for having sex. So it was really delightful. Yeah, sounds <laughs> just, just how a person should be enjoying their sex life. Um, but you know, still being a human being and falling back into it time and time again. So finally my boyfriend and I look back at him with so much kindness because he was 22 freaking years old. I was 24 and he was like, let's get married. I can see this causes you so much pain and suffering. Will it help you if we're just married? And I was like, yeah, like least romantic proposal ever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember distinctly, and I never want this to hurt him either, but I just remember walking down the aisle and I just felt my spirit screaming like, no, this isn't right. Like I knew I was doing this. I didn't know I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I thought I was atoning for my sin of sex. I thought I was fixing it. I was like, I've already messed up so much. I'm beyond repair. I will fix this by marrying the sexual partner that I'm with and I will stop sinning. Mm -hmm. And that was why I got married. And that day of marriage was a beautiful day, but it was all wrong and I knew it. So two years go by and God bless him. He admitted that he had been cheating on me the whole time. And that was excruciating and my first major heartbreak and all of those things. But it was also my first moment where I felt I'd been given permission to actually take a step back and be like, okay, wait. I was told that if I did X, Y, and Z and I was a good girl and I was perfect and pure and blah, 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 that you would protect me, that you would provide for me, that I'd live happily ever after. And being a spiritual person, and I still am, I really felt like God's response to that was like, did I say that? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Am I the one that was the author of this doctrine that you'd been given? And basically after that, I decided to go on what I affectionately call my tramp page. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just completely let go of any everything. I was like, I'm not going to count numbers. I'm not going to live in this guilt and shame anymore. I'm going to pursue anything and everything I want and completely let go. And that was the beginning of my deconstruction phase, which hit around 27 years old. Hmm. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's so much in that, in that story. I mean, <laughs> so much life you just lived like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes to me having, having conversations like these, it's just so striking how much pressure we put on ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, how much turmoil that we sort of sometimes willingly and sometimes not so willingly, you know, are inflict upon ourselves and all the, all the things that, that you struggled with, just, just with your sense of self-worth and understanding your own, your own impulses and your own desires. Um, that's just, I'm, I'm so glad you got to a place where you could sort of deconstruct and, and move beyond those things because you deserved it, you know? Yeah. And I think we all do like, absolutely. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you go through this, this phase where your marriage ends and now you, and the way you, the way you tell the story, like it, it did sort of free you in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that part of your journey, like, do you just sort of, you're like, I'm not going to think about the, the spiritual stuff right now and just, just sort of move on and, and explore this thing that I've shut off for so long. Because one of the things you, I, I really liked what you said earlier, you, you use this phrase of saying you compartmentalized your spirituality and your sexuality. Mm-hmm. So did, did it feel like it, it had to be an either or choice for a while? Like you had to either be spiritual and like chaste um, and not of the flesh or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever we would say, or just be who you are and like, and be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting journey because someone recently commented on my page. It was like a, um, not a hater, but a dissenting comment. And she said something like, well, if we're not saving ourselves from marriage and we're cursing and we're drinking and we're doing drugs like everybody else, how is anyone going to know we're a Christian? And I was just trying to gently express to her, I was like, is that your definition of a Christian? <laughs> like <laughs> a virgin that doesn't drink or do drugs and doesn't curse? Like, I never heard Jesus say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're supposed to be like a purveyors of justice and fighters for others' freedom and, you know, welcoming in immigrants and people that are in need and going out and feeding the poor. Like, but... I truly believe that evangelicalism hijacked Christianity and attributed all of these BS traits to it that it is not, that Jesus never put that pressure on us. So that's why that journey was so difficult. I would have called it my prodigal son moment because I didn't have the language for it. And before you and I started recording, I was just thanking you for popularizing the uh, the ex-evangelical hashtag because, and then Jamie Lee Finch and, um, you know, many others have taught me the terms of deconstruction and reconstruction. And Mm -hmm. all of that terminology is so beneficial to me. And I keep trying to teach my audience about it because without that language, I just felt lost in the wilderness. And 
the thing about it was, you're right, I did compartmentalize because I found that I could never, ever fully cut myself off from my spiritual self. I was still constantly in communication with God. I was still praying all the time. I was still reading my Bible even. I was praying with friends and other people that I felt like actually understood me. And I actually resented the fact that because I was getting a little sailor mouth on me and going home with a bartender every now and again and, you know, emancipating myself in these physical ways that I was no longer allowed to supposedly carry the title of Christian. And I feel like a lot of people's hair would stand up on the, on their arms if they heard me say that people that are more on the fundamental side, because they're like, no, but that's what defines us. That's how people know us. Like you're being of the world and you're denying God and all of this morality. But in reality, I really needed to break free and I did it in a major way, which I didn't get to uh, finish describing the pendulum swing. Like for me, oh, okay. when you're all the way up on one side being perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm mm -hmm. going to save myself from marriage. I'm going to do everything right. When something breaks that, for me, that was my divorce. It doesn't just go down and center itself in the middle and present to you a really healthy sexuality and a balanced <laughs> right. spiritual life. You know, like that shit flies to the other side. And <laughs> yeah. The other side for me was a tramp age and drug experimentation and all of these things. And I'm not wallowing in the pain of that or crawling across my floor in repentance. I have slowly been on a path of realigning my sexuality and my spirituality. And I don't know if you're familiar with Linda K. Klein. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called Pure. Yeah. Yeah. That book was so freeing and validating because First of all, she put language to a lot of the things I've experienced, but also in the end, her very last chapter, she talks about how she was going into the bedroom and she was finally like, God, you should come in here with me. And I was like, oh my God, I can relate to that so hard. I just felt like I had all these sexual experiences and I was like, God, you wait out here. You're really important to me, but I know you hate me and I know you despise everything that I'm doing. So just stay out here. And I'll be back in a minute. And then I would click back into him. And that caused a lot of trauma and, and invited a couple sticky Me Too-ish movements because I was checked out in so many ways by approaching it that way. And it hasn't been until the last four years or so that I had the moment of like, God, I actually know you want to be in this room with me. So stay. Teach me about sexual integrity and and I've never had a stronger sense of right and wrong with my body and with my sexuality than I have since allowing that compartmentalization to fuse and like come together so I could become this one holistic person that I've always needed to be. Mm -hmm. Within those last four years, what was it that began that process? You'd, there's the pendulum swing, which is so, so relatable of like, okay, I was way over here and now I need to experience this life that I feel like I missed out on or mm. like that. That's just so, so very relatable and such a good metaphor as you sort of swang, swang, swung, swung? <laughs> <laughs> as you've swung back to the center, so to speak. Um, you mentioned even in our, like our emails back and forth, like you, you have an, 
a meaningful way, like reconstructed your own sort of spirituality. Um, what were the steps that you took for that? And what does that really look like and, and mean for you? Yeah, I will say that I consider myself on a path of reconstruction for probably like 10 years, but I just did it very privately and in my own space. And I definitely had to, um, walk away from church at that time. I couldn't engage in that space because it was triggering first of all. And again, Jamie Lee Finch helps me understand things like that, like recognizing religious trauma syndrome. And that's a real thing. I was like, Oh, that's why my whole body started to shake when I went (laughs) into church. And like, it's all these like nice people waving at you and you're terrified, like you're in a haunted house and you're like, why am I so (laughs) scared of these really nice people? But it is that, that trauma that I was experiencing. So I finally wised up again without the language and was like, huh, I think my body is trying to tell me something. Every time I walk in that door, I'm shaking you know, like a leaf, maybe I should stop putting myself in that situation for a minute and take a breath. And I also found the church voices to be so loud and overpowering that I was like, I can't hear my own voice, let alone the voice of the Holy Spirit or the the nuanced voices of my body. You know, like I can't hear anything. I just have to get out of here. So I went on that path for a long time, but simultaneously without really like the support of, I mean, I have amazing friends that have been through so much with me, but I think without the support of knowing or conceiving of sexual integrity, like I saw it in friends of mine. And by the way, like atheists and agnostics practice beautiful sexual integrity all the time that Mm -hmm. far surpasses the Christian integrity. I see, you know, just watching friends that are like, having one or two partners a year and and making sure to go on a bunch of dates and get to know them and get comfortable. Like that was becoming more and less and less familiar to me because I was just like jumping into bed with whoever and, and really disregarding any of that. And, and really celebrating, you know, if you want to do that and nothing against that, trust me, I do not judge it. Some, maybe it is for some people, but I was definitely in some situations where I was not being kind to my body, not being kind to my partners, not looking at them as they deserve to be treated and vice versa, um, which is when I think sexuality becomes unhealthy. But all that said, I, it all culminated. I fell in love with this guy. We broke up. And right afterwards, I was in one of the most vulnerable dark, sad, like moments in my life that I invited in a very abusive person into my life. And I proceeded to have, I think a two or three year relationship with my first abusive partner. And when I finally came out of that relationship, which ended because a friend of mine, thankfully, she very gently was like, I think you should Google emotional abuse checklist and see if you check any of those boxes. And I found one of like 45 different points and I checked every single box Mm. and I burst into tears because I was like, how did I get here? How was I gaslit to the point that I didn't even realize this was happening? How did I invite this person in? And where on earth is my self-esteem? Like what, what has happened to me that I've, come to this place. I've, I've hit this low. 
And right after that, it was like actually a steady incline because it hit me like a ton of bricks. And from there, and I was like, I'm going to learn how to respect myself. I'm going to figure out how to get here, how I got here. I'm going to figure everything out. And so I had already been in like the spiritual reconstruction phase of myself. Like all of my friends would call me a Christian and, and make fun of me. And, you know, like <laughs> they knew that I identified that way, but the fruit of my life as a Christian would call it was not reflective of that. And in, in this relationship or in my sexuality. So after that relationship, that's when I started also reconstructing my sexuality and learning about sexual integrity. And that's been a beautiful journey. Can you define that term a little bit more uh, that what, what you're referring to when you mentioned sexual in- integrity? Yeah. Are you familiar with Dan Savage? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Savage love and yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Dan Savage. Mm-hmm. He's um, an amazing sex educator and he does a lot of his podcast is very Q&A based and he learns so much. But one of my favorite things that he says is if you have a sexual encounter with someone, they need to leave better than you found them. Mm. If you are inviting someone into your space, into your body, into your bed, when they leave, the communication has to have been so on point that there's no questions looming. You know, there can be mystery and eroticism, but there's no outstanding questions about where you each stand. There's no harm being done outwardly to the other person and they're leaving happier and satisfied and, you know, all of these things more so than when you found them. I think that's a huge part of sexual integrity. Another thing, obviously that evangelicalism completely missed was consent, which is a word that I learned about two years ago as a woman in her thirties. Like I didn't even I was like talking to a friend of mine about being raised on Oprah after school specials. (laughs) She's my queen. First of all, (laughs) love Oprah. (laughs) But one of the things that I remember is like feeling like rape was something that took place in a dark alley and it was really violence. And I think it wasn't until these recent years with the mean Too movement that I started realizing how subtle it could actually be and watching me and a lot of my friends really realize certain things that had happened to us and Mm. identifying it properly as assault or abuse or whatever. So that is prevalent in church because of gendered teachings about sexuality and modesty culture and the way a woman's worth and quote completeness or incompleteness is in her purity and her quote virginity, you know, like it's become so clear to me how much church, unfortunately, has promoted a lot of rape culture in those teachings. So sexual integrity is all of those things, plus the honoring of your body, you know, just recognizing one one moment that I really now understand is a moment that came to me because of purity culture is that I was at this bar in New York and I was flirting with the bartender and he ended up taking me back to his apartment and we ended up sleeping together and he was being really rough and that's something I could maybe welcome in with someone that I trust. But at that moment it was with a bartender I didn't know in an unfamiliar place in a city I don't live in. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know him like that. 
now, thank God, I feel like I have the words and the confidence and the wherewithal to say, Hey, I don't want to have sex like this. Or, Hey, I don't know you like that. Like, can we just chill and be normal? But for me, my purity culture kicked in and I instead had a disembodied experience. I hovered over my body. I was watching him hurt me, which he would have thought, and you know, I don't mean any harm to him. Like I think he thought he was having a kinky kind of experience that was consensual because I didn't say anything first of all. But, um, for me, I just hovered above my body and I was like, well, this is what you get. You know, this is what happens when you sleep with a stranger. This is what you get when you're dirty and you're impure and you're having a one night stand. Of course, you're going to get hurt. So I just tolerated it. And then I came back into my body and it wasn't until the next morning that I kind of ended up crying in the shower a little bit and being like, I didn't mm. like that experience at all. Why? Did, and But I still didn't feel like I had the freedom to address why. The, why, the answer to the why was just, oh, because you're a bad girl. That's what happens to bad girls. So now coming into sexual integrity, those are the moments that I want to teach younger people or even people my age and older that have come out of this toxic doctrine to be like, those are the moments you listen to your body. You're allowed to listen to your heart. You're allowed to say this doesn't feel good. Even if you think you're quote sinning, you don't have to tolerate pain. And, um, that's something I didn't know. So all of those things, including just basic, comprehensive, science-based sex education, all of that to me is under this umbrella of sexual integrity. Hmm. Thank you so much for that for that explanation, and I'm I'm sorry that 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 you had that experience and that purity culture primed you to even be vulnerable to that situation. Yeah. Um, but thank you for for explaining that and really giving such a personal example. I actually want to use that, what you mentioned about sex education as a sort of segue to talk about your work through your podcast and your, and your YouTube channel, which is called God is gray. I am really bad at YouTube. So like, uh, <laughs> Oh, you're of, not a 15 year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, like, Just, I had to learn it too. It was a foreign land when I start. I, I feel like I've got a decent grasp on, on a lot of <laughs> things relative to podcasting. Uh, you know, I, I understand Twitter and Facebook groups, but like one of my major digital blind spots is, is YouTube. So <laughs> I totally curious how, like just in general, how, how you found your, your niche there and what really motivated you to put out content for YouTube. But so yeah, tell me about the about the show and and also or about the channel. Sorry, see I don't even know the ling lingo. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 what, what you're made an you idiot. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's absolutely Again, fair. you're not a you're not a teenage <laughs> kid. Now, I don't want to pitch. It's actually a very diverse place. I had no idea. Uh, the diversity of age and yeah yeah i was lost yeah to me, me it's more like i i don't know if i have the requisite skills you know like i know how to talk <laughs> that comes pretty easy <laughs> there you go <laughs> but how to, how to have a, a like a, a camera presence and all that other stuff like uh i just i haven't i haven't crossed that bridge yet <laughs> yeah i mean the funny thing about it is if you would have told me like 
five years ago that I was going to do this, I would have been like, there is literally no way I'm not doing that. (laughs) Even leading up to it, like the day before I uploaded my first video, I'm like, am I an idiot? Like, I don't want (laughs) to do this. This is horrible. Like I, it was intense and, and it's a space that is, can be so uplifting and can be so volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like any other space, people have direct access to you. They can just call you a whore out of nowhere and you kind of have to just sit there and take it because you put right. yourself out there. It's crazy. Yeah. The whole don't read the comments thing is real, right? <laughs> and yet I do. And yet I do. <laughs> but basically what happened was I wrote, I was keeping a blog and uh, personal journal entries for my entire deconstruction, reconstruction phase. And when I first started a blog, it was on MySpace. And I was little Miss Goody Two Shoes. I was getting ready to get married, living in LA. And my whole blog was about how to maintain your Christianity in these wild spaces. Like I'm, I'm in LA, I'm modeling, I'm going to like cocaine parties and the playboy mansion. And how am I maintaining my faith? And to be honest, that portion was really easy for me because it's, you can miss the, uh, the purity of knowing, you know, like how nice it was to know everything and Mm -hmm. to see things in black and white and to not address gray and nuance, you know? So at that phase, I was that girl. And also I was a heterosexual virgin saving herself from marriage. So I had all the qualifications of a good Christian, you know? And after that, I started kind of lying (laughs) and pretending to be perfect while I was going through divorce, while I was going on this like tramp page. And it's funny because I ended up going through all of that material and reading back, you know, what I'd written and recognizing myself, reading it and being like, oh, you little brat, that's not true. That's not what you were doing. Like, that's just what you were putting out into the public world, you know? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I saw that material and I saw it as an opportunity to write a memoir about my experience because at the end of it, and this was after my abusive relationship, probably like a year, a year and a half later, I really wanted to turn it into a book because I really wanted to express my feelings and I really wanted to communicate that I believe you could go on this entire journey and still be a Christian and still be beloved by God. It's so crazy to me because now I see so many people in this space saying the same thing. But at the time, I didn't know there was a Jen Hatmaker or a Sarah Bessie or a Pete ends like all, I had no idea any of these people were awaiting me, which has been incredible. Mm-hmm. At the time, I felt very alone in it. And I was trying to get it published I was talking to some agents and they were like, we love this material. We don't think there's an audience for it. And this is pre Trump. So I also think after the whole Trump thing, that's really shown people like, no, evangelicalism is alive and well and very influential and it's still there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think I could make an easier case for the book at this point. But anyway, I actually, in a moment of frustration was like, no, that's impossible. There is definitely an audience for this. There's no way. So I started Googling and I was like sex positive Christian, LGBTQ affirming Christian. And I couldn't find anything. 
I wound up on YouTube, which just like you was this crazy, unfamiliar, weird territory to me. And I found girls like white girls in their twenties saying the same things that had really harmed and, and like hurt so many aspects of my life, my sexuality, the way I moved through the world, the way I judged other people, you know, girls talking about dressing modestly so that you don't cause men to stumble, that God is your birth control. So, you know, you can just trust him with that. Um, that you are less than for having sex before marriage, all of these things. And I actually was getting so upset and I was sitting with my boyfriend who I'm now having a baby with and <laughs> congratulations. It, thank you. Uh, it was this really um, incredible moment. You ever read or hear about how Mary Shelley, like her Frankenstein just like came from like this divine place and it would just like spewed out onto the paper after she had a dream. Mm -hmm. It was one of those moments. I was sitting on the couch with him. We were just like drinking wine, hanging out. And I completely like blacked out. I was on my computer and I wrote like 60 or 50 topics that I thought I could talk about. And I came to, and my boyfriend looked at me and he was like, where did you just go? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I think I have an idea. And it just felt so right. And I picked up a camera and I shot the first message and I just felt crazy. And I had this like really beautiful like vision. I like walked out of this dense forest into this like square open field. And I was there by myself for like a minute. And then in the distance, there was someone waving at me. And that person I now identify as Linda K. Klein, because she was the very first person I noticed that was in this reconstructionist world. And then shortly thereafter, all kinds of people started coming out of the fields and waving at each other. And I feel like that's the community that I've found now, even with you and your platform, like all of us speaking out on these harmful, toxic doctrines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, those first moments, I was just out there in that field alone. And It was beautiful because I was gearing up for the worst (laughs) storm ever. I was like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. 95% of people are going to say, you're going to hell, you disgusting whore of a Jezebel. And 5% of people are going to be like, thank you. I've needed to hear this my whole life. And when I woke up in the morning and as the weeks and the months went by, it was the exact opposite. It was Mm. like 98% people saying, I've needed to hear this my whole life. And 2% people being like, you're a Jezebel whore going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Always going to be those people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that was the least abridged version. But that's it all came from me just really desperately trying to share my story. And I never thought it would manifest in the YouTube space of all places. Mm -hmm. And now I'm still going to publish that book and everything. But that's how it all all began. Wow, that's that's great. And so what are the sort of things that you explore through your YouTube channel? I really I do these like clapbacks, which sometimes I get flack for. People are like, you shouldn't be so mean to Christians, but (laughs) Christians can be infuriating if you have not noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) So really, I mean, I know the unique thing about my channel and my my voice is that I did move from deconstruction to reconstruction. So I 100% identify as a Christian. So I like coming from the space of like, hi, I'm a Christian. Global warming is real. Hi, I'm a Christian. 
troll isn't a sin. Hi, I'm a Christian. We need to vote pro-choice because it statistically saves more babies' lives. So those are really the things that I go after. And I always try to reach out to people that upset me one-on-one. I'll like DM, I'll try to reach out. I'll try to be like, can we have a constructive conversation about some of the things you've said that I really disagree with? Um, maybe we can show people how Christians can unify in these, in coming from these two sides of the aisle. And a lot of them turn me down, unfortunately. And when that happens, I'm like, well, I'm still going to speak out because you just gave all this misinformation about abortion or you said this crazy nonsense about the border wall. And, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to call you out on your nonsense and, and portray Jesus in the way that I see him. And, you know, I still, I have no judgment for these people at all. And I don't even want to categorize them as a different category than me because I don't, doubt their faith. I don't doubt their, um, devotion to Christianity, but I do think we need to start coming together and actually listening to each other. That includes all faiths and all denominations and people that don't identify with the faith at all, because everything, everyone is in like so much disagreement right now. There's so much pain of us and them and just battling each other it makes you lose your your empathy first of all but also your logic for these issues that really matter like the health of the planet is on the table women's bodies and whether or not they're going to die is on the table like these are really big issues that christians and and fundamentalists like the terrible moral majority have their hands in and i just think we need to stand up and say something about it as christians anyone that still identifies as that needs to speak out against it yeah and i'm not going to disagree at all <laughs> that's that's entirely <laughs> what what this sort of pursuit of, for my show is and and having people like you on is to be able to have a constructive but also critical discussion of the sorts of harm, at least for me in, in particular, I'm concerned about evangelicalism, white evangelicalism, and how that impacts people. But it's so yeah. fascinating to see you succeed and build a space, uh, like occupies a very similar space as like the, the people that you're clapping back or that you're doing clapbacks to. I'm sure I sound super old right now. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to own it. You know, I'm in you my- You sound radical, dude. <clears throat> Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm old too. <laughs> <laughs> the the people that you're writing these you're doing these response videos to, you share an equal platform and then you're both on YouTube and so people are searching for the same sorts of information, really. Yeah. But you're mm-hmm. surfacing this I'm biased, but I'm gonna say more informed and more healthy approach to sexuality and other elements that obviously impact other Christians because Christians are humans and they got to reckon with that stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's just so fascinating that, that, that you're able to use the platform in that way to expose people to something that they might not otherwise see. Yeah. I've, I've gotten such beautiful messages from people who said they were searching for a video um, from another creator and they found mine and they finally felt like, they were allowed to believe in climate change or they were allowed to believe that their worth wasn't in their purity, you know, mm. and it's, 
or they're allowed to believe in God and be a lesbian at the same dang time. You know, like we have like the evangelicalism has just bogarted so much of the Bible and what it's supposed to be and what it was intended to be and turned it into some sex manual or some like really small, narrow minded black and white vision of the world. And that's why I call my channel God is gray because we have to contend with the gray, with the nuance. Mm -hmm. I know someone that's hesitant or that hates what I'm doing would hate that you said I'm more informed, but that's a huge part of it too. I'm like, Christian that I'm clapping back to. I'm not trying to degrade you, demean you, humiliate you, anything like that. I'm just begging you to have an informed look at your view. And you can still hold on to your view. If you insist on voting pro-life, I'm not telling you not to, but I'm saying, oh my God, you need to advocate for sex ed you know, resources for women in need, welfare, sex education, um, birth control, et cetera, because that is what statistically and every available statistic saves babies' lives. You can't just take a word or a phrase like pro-life and sit on it and be like, I'm self-satisfied. I'm doing the right thing because pro-life sounds flowery and it's coming from the mouths of people that are calling themselves Christians. It's like, no, you have a responsibility. If you are telling me that you are devoted to saving babies' lives, but you are voting pro-life and statistically proven killing more babies, making more women suffer, bringing more people into poverty, mm -hmm. then you're not aligned with your view. You need, like, I need you to have an informed take of what you're doing. Align your spirituality with the way you're moving through the world or stop saying it. And I've at nauseam, I mean, sometimes I just want to smash my head into a wall trying to explain to a Christian, they're like, how on earth could pro-choice save more babies? I'm like, for the bazillionth time. <laughs> These right. are the factors that save babies. This is what pro-choice legislators bring to the table. You know, Trump and Pence cutting funding and bringing back abstinence only. Those are the things that kill babies. Put your money where your mouth is. Educate yourself. Stop spouting the same nonsense and stop sitting on a lily pad where you think your terminology or what your pastor told you is enough. You're not moving through the world as a real Christian if you're not affecting the change that you're saying you want to be. Yeah. It seems like you're you're really giving the audience, which might be really evangelicals searching YouTube for information, you're giving them two things that they often don't get from evangelical sources, which is one, permission, just permission yeah. to to question permission to be who they are without trying to fit into a box mm -hmm. and also information, information that they might not receive otherwise. Um, and it's honestly, it's good that you're doing that as a Christian because that matters to some people, you know, they, they may not receive information. They may not receive someone's testimony, so to speak, unless they know that that person is also a Christian. So yeah, <laughs> it's really great that you're doing that on, on that platform just because clearly it's, it's a major driver of culture 
and a major yeah. driver of conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I, and I agree. It's it's like a safe space. And that's how I felt before I found my brothers and sisters in this arena. I felt like, okay, I can either go watch Sex in the City and say, screw it all and just embrace sexuality and like being deviant in any way I want, blah, blah, blah. Or I stay in this little box under the steeple and, and reside in, in this space where you're telling me I have to be X, Y, and Z to be a good person. And rarely had I ever, or maybe I never had heard someone say exactly what you said. You're allowed to be yourself. You're allowed to, uh, like goth music and just be <laughs> right. yourself. You're allowed to like go on a date with a person that you're not going to marry. You're allowed to have an ecstatic experience just because you wanted to, you know, and you're still going to be a Christian at the end of the day that, that God himself is about exploration and, and love and charity and just being a holistic person, I think is the best servitude we could be to others. Because if you are, whole within yourself, if you are confident in who you are, if you're walking in your full being as God made you, then you're going to do nothing but like create positivity in this world because you're not going to be obsessively trapped in the thinking of like, Oh God, I masturbated today. I'm a terrible person. And I'm going to think about that for 24 hours. You know, when you just let yourself be and masturbate in the shower in the morning, get it over with, then you can move on to like living real life. Like, being good to your neighbor and hanging out with friends and <laughs> impacting a good change in this world. Right. So distracting. <laughs> <laughs> just, just get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> just everybody go masturbate and shut up and then go save the planet. <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> It goes back to something an old pastor once told me. He said, we major in the minor and minor in the majors. That is all we are doing. Like, the you know, sex, sexuality is important. But, like, telling men to obsessively spend their lives trying not to masturbate, like, what are you doing? That is so distracting. You're majoring in the most minor thing I can possibly think of. Let's move on. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Well, it sounds like you you are doing really really cool stuff. Uh, I I want to tie up our conversation a little bit just by asking a more general question. I and the preamble to the question is like, you know, 2019's been yet another hell of a year. Yeah. There's all sorts there's an impeachment inquiry. There's atrocities happening in Turkey right now and Syria. There's the climate crisis, you know, all these things, all these major things. And then, of course, on top of it, like evangelicals are in their political ascendancy. Um, so that's something to worry about. <laughs> yeah. In spite of all that, I'm curious for you, what, what gives you hope? Like what motivates you to, to make the content that you do and just encourages you personally? Well, this is why I love YouTube, too. I have a lot of hope in the next up generation. Like I am really blown away and not in just, you know, the Twitter sphere and people having their 15 minutes of fame way. Like I really see the younger people being so awake and alive and 
unabashedly themselves, whether it's the way that they dress or the way they, they express their sexuality or their opinions of the world, the way they, you know, may reject certain concepts that their parents are bringing to them. They're just, I see so many little rebels that are like coming from such a beautiful place. And I'm excited to have a child for the same reason. Like going back to the pendulum idea, I think a lot of kids right now, even if they're not being raised in this way, they're choosing for themselves to stay in the middle of the pendulum and just kind of gently swing from side to side between what someone might traditionally call a good move or an evil move, you know, but like in that really healthy space of experimentation, but also confidence and trust in themselves. And I, for one, really aim to and hope that I do raise my child in exactly that space, bottom of the pendulum, that healthy experimentation to like cooling it down, whatever. That is why I'm so honored to be on YouTube. And and I believe as a Christian, that's probably why God brought me there because these the messages that I'm getting from these 15-year-old girls that are just blowing my mind with their knowledge of the world, the way they're seeing things, and just asking or thanking me, like you said, to get, like giving them permission to believe the way that they do. And I'm honored that I can do that for any young person. Hmm. And that really does give me hope. And also, <laughs> you know, I have a lot of weird concepts of the world. Like this just seems like some big ass video game to me. Like I don't <laughs> know why we're here and it all feels and is so big and heavy and might lead to our doom and destruction for sure. But I am a Christian, so I do believe that there is some something after this and some reason that we're all here. My basic belief is that we are here as spiritual beings in these flesh bodies, and both should be honored, spirit and flesh, and that we're just supposed to move through this place and see what we can learn, what we can gather, what kind of positive effect we, we can change. And if you look at it that way, it's like, you know, not to be like a nihilist or whatever, but I'm like, well, if the planet explodes, like, I guess the video game's over. I don't know what <laughs> to tell you. I'm going to try my best to fight against that. I'm going to pray this next generation saves us. But like, I think we're here for so much more. So the more we have these conversations and I thank you so much for having these conversations with people and bringing so many voices into people's awareness that they are just expanding their minds and moving through the world with so much confidence because of what you are imparting to them. I think that's the most we can do for our own health as people that will therefore transfer into the health of this planet to the next generation, et cetera. Yeah, that's great. I'm also encouraged by a lot of the same things and that 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 definitely resonates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a 7-year-old and so it's great seeing seeing things through her eyes is uh, always always gives me a little bit more hope. <laughs> you're like looking at her, you're like save us. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Well, Brenda, thank you so much for, for talking with me and uh, telling me a little bit about your journey and your work. Uh, where can people find you on YouTube and anywhere else you might be online? 
Um, yeah, it's just uh, youtube.com slash God is Gray, G-R-E-Y. Um, I'm on Twitter, which I'm horrible at, but I'm also pretty accessible on because I have so few followers. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, at God is Gray. And yeah, that's also the podcast, God is Gray. Just search God is Gray, the podcast, and it'll come up. Awesome. Brenda, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.